Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, we break down the unstoppable Texans. Did I really say that? <laughs> and we get into a frustrating Astros week. Before I fire things up, we're excited to tell you that this show is brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. Stay tuned to hear about an exclusive discount we've got for you guys. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, all David Cully does is win games, baby. Time for a contract extension, man. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Two games into the Texans' uh, 20-0 and undefeated season, Robert. Uh, things are going on schedule, aren't they? <laughs> you know, this team stunk last year in turnover margin, as you remember, but you got to be impressed that the coaching staff not only has emphasized turnover margin, but it's working. Last season, they forced nine turnovers the entire regular season. It's not one game. The entire regular season, 16 games. On Saturday, they caused four takeaways and turned the ball over zero times, which make seven, count them, seven turnovers in the first two games. Steven, do you need me to explain what a turnover is again for you? <laughs> um, well, it, are you talking about, you know, those ones you bake like apple or cherry? No, I don't think so. You're, you're talking takeaways. You know, that's what the – Levy Smith has been preaching that really – throughout his entire coaching career. And he actually has a pretty lofty goal, Robert, of what he wants the Texans defense to do when it comes to turnovers. And no, I'm not talking about the baking kind. Uh, Lovey Smith wants his defense to average three turnovers a game. How about that? Well, you know, they're certainly on that pace to do that. And and honestly, it, it's hard to not get excited about it. But again, it's preseason we have to be careful and, and temper our excitement, I guess. But look, you got to start somewhere. And, and at least, as you said, Robert, the players are listening to him. The, the, you know, whatever he's preaching to them, whatever he's whispering to them, the defense whisperer, can we call him that right now? They're listening. And it's not only the turnovers, Robert, which, you know, is certainly a byproduct of this, but these guys are intense. You know, they're, they're tackling well. How many conversations did you and I have last year about how poorly the Texans' defense was tackling. I lost track. I, I mean, they're, they're tackling better. They're getting after it. And those things do contribute to leading to turnovers, and that's exactly what the Texans' defense has done. Imagine saying, even in these first two preseason games, that the defense is carrying the offense. What? i tell you what. The defense, it had its issues, and there were some rough points, but... You look at the positives and you go down the list and Charles Amenehu broke out in a big way. Two sacks, a fumble recovery. You hear good things about him in camp. Jacob Martin, who should have been played more last year, had a strip sack, which led to a turnover on the first defensive possession. Former Patriot Terrence Brooks with an interception to ice the game. Former uh, Bronco Demarcus Walker had a sack on a four-man rush and a tackle for loss. Roy Lopez a draft choice that's actually doing something, had a sack his second in the preseason. Five sacks by the Texans' defense. Somebody named Shaheem Carter had an interception. Hey, Lonnie <laughs> Johnson nearly had an interception at the end of the first half, then gets a pick six in the second half. So Amenahu, Lopez, Johnson, all recent draft picks, 
that didn't look invisible. Yeah, that's what's really impressive. And, you know, Amena, he, he didn't even play the first game. I think he was in uh, COVID protocol, and he comes in. And, you know, the, the neat thing about the sacks and the fumble recovery, Robert, is uh, he's showing his versatility and the fact that he can rotate, which is something, you know, that, that these defensive linemen and, and linebackers are doing. You know, one of his sacks, he got it off the edge by beating a tight end. He got one up the middle. And then the fumble that he recovered, he was an interior rusher and he penetrated the pocket. So, you know, that's that's the great thing is we're, we're seeing the versatility of players like Omenicue and Lonnie Johnson Jr. You know, we've been waiting for him to figure it out. And he, from all indications at camp, he's been like an interception machine. He's really been looking good at camp. And, you know, it translated certainly in the Cowboy game. You know, the question again, of course, becomes they've got one more preseason game left. Can it translate to the regular season? That's what's going to be the issue. But as I said, you've got to start somewhere, and we're at least seeing some promising signs right now. Lonnie Johnson would have had two interceptions, but Simone Biles' boyfriend got in the way. <laughs> oh, imagine that. Yeah, talk about bittersweet, right? Jonathan Owens, uh, yeah, he was he was there. They ran into each other at that one at the end of the half, and maybe he just needed to change his number to number one, Stephen. I guess that was the key to the whole deal. That's right. Exactly right. The offense, uh, not not as much laughing with the offense and fun. They pretty much stunk. And you got Tyrod Taylor. I don't know. He just didn't have enough possessions to say he was horrible. He wasn't helped, though, by a Chris Conley drop on third down. But Davis Mills looked terrible. Didn't handle pressure. Accuracy continues to be hit and miss. Couldn't convert third downs. Overall, the Texans were zero for 10 on third down conversions. Tyrod Taylor missed a couple in there, but Steven, it was mostly Davis Mills. Yes and no. I mean, yeah, you look at the numbers and they certainly are not impressive. They only averaged 4.2 yards per play. And, you know, the running game, I mean, when Jeff Driscoll uh, is almost your leading rusher, you know, I think Mark Ingram had 24 carries, I mean, 24 yards on seven carries. I'd like to see more of him. And, you know, he's been known throughout his career to be really good in the red zone. I, I think Mark Ingram does have some promise, but of course he didn't play very much. But yeah, you look at the overall offensive numbers, Taylor wasn't that impressive for what little he was in there. I mean, you know, Mills, yeah, he had the intentional grounding in there. I guess, you know, at least he didn't make any major mistakes like throwing a bad interception that he threw in the Green Bay game. His numbers, you know, 10 of 16, 115 yards. Three completions, at least to 15 yards. But, you know, he's still trying to figure it out. I, I'm not so much worried about him. It's just that, you know, but of course, he's he's going to be expected to pick up the offense and do well. But I don't know that Davis Mills was terrible, but really the overall offense was terrible from start to finish. The only reason they scored that touchdown is because, once again, the defense came to their rescue and got him in a short field situation. I'm going to get back to why I'm concerned about Davis Mills in just a bit. But you talked about the running game and the issues that they had. And, and that gets me to the offensive line, because when you look at things, Titus Howard, uh, he's now playing left guard. So that, by the way, that move from right tackle to left guard looking more and more like it's official. We're probably going to have to talk to talk about that sometime down the road. But meanwhile, we still haven't seen Laramie Tunsil and Marcus Cannon. So it's hard to judge this line, and here's the issue, Stephen, with getting the running game going and getting the offensive line together. You hope that having everybody out there makes a huge difference, but they'll have absolutely no chemistry 
without preseason snaps or for that matter, barely any snaps during training camp period. And and that's how you get good on an offensive line. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that is something this line has had problems with for the last couple of years is consistency. You know, either guys are getting hurt or you're switching guys around, you're letting guys go. You know, that's that's been a big deal for this line for the longest time. And now you're in preseason. You, you have one less preseason game to figure it out. But then, as you said, you know, you've got guys like Tunsil who haven't seen any action at all. He's your left tackle. He's the guy that's that's really got to protect Taylor or Davis Mills, you know, whomever you put in there. So I am concerned about the line. So I, I think it's a little bit of everything, Robert. And you've got, you know, a number of veterans in the running game. You know, I mentioned Ingram. You've got Philip Lindsay. You've got David Johnson. And, and none of these guys really stepping forward and shining that brightly. And you've got some, you know, younger guys, you know, like uh, Darius Jackson and Rex Burkett and, you know, those guys. So it's it, it's a log jam at, at some of these positions. But at the same time, there just has not been that consistency that we keep expecting from the line. Let's go back to something that I think is a good sign for the Texans. Four penalties for 66 yards. Just four penalties. It's a lot of yardage because they had a pass interference in there. But considering they have all new players and a new coaching staff, it's surprising they haven't had more pre-snap penalties. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And I know they had that one scrimmage, I think, a couple of Saturdays ago, the, the Saturday before the first preseason game against Green Bay. And that was something that David Culley said was a major problem. He was pretty unhappy about Is You know, they even had officials out there, and uh, the Texans got flagged for a number of penalties. But really, these first two preseason games has not been an issue there. So, you know, if, if you can do that in the regular season, well, it, it will certainly, you know, perhaps keep some drives alive that may stall when you have such penalties. So discipline, it's a big deal. And, and Cully is obviously making it a big deal, at least through these uh, first two preseason games. All right. I'm going to get to one of my pet peeves, Stephen, and you're not getting the Texans broadcast on these games. So let me just tell you, Spencer Tillman, he's built up ton of goodwill for me over the years. Ex-Houston Oiler. He was a guest on the show. Really nice guy. I like Spencer a lot as a human being. But, man, he's just embarrassing himself with his broadcast of these Texans preseason games. You want me to give you some quotes from Spencer Tillman and just this game, Stephen? Because I got some for you. Yeah, I bet you do. But now, actually, I do get the Texans broadcast. I, I, I actually have the choice between the Texans feed and the Cowboys feed. Um, imagine that. I watched the Texans feed. Now, I, I can tell you one quote that I, I think it was Kevin Kugler in, in the first game against Green Bay. You could hear the excitement in his voice when he said, I'm just thrilled to see what this Texans team can do tonight. Kevin, it's a preseason game. Just, you know, calm down. I mean, you would think... He was a diehard Texans fan that had season tickets all lined up and ready to go. I, Yeah, I can hear the lack of preparation in this. But go ahead and give me your Spencer quotes for this game, Robert. I'd love to hear them. Yeah, I don't know with Spencer if it's a lack of preparation. I just feel like it's it's just not realistic and re- the real world stuff. And let's go to what he says about Nick Casario. He said, quote, I don't think I've seen a better job by a GM in the last decade or more. Okay. Uh, yeah, I did see that. I, I did. <laughs> you know, I'll be honest. I was watching the game, but I was kind of going back and forth on Twitter, you know, keeping up with different things too for the Texans game. But yeah, I do remember that quote. Um, isn't it a little early to be saying whether Nick Casario, the, the players that 
the way he overhauled the roster, isn't it a little early to be saying it's working after two preseason games? No Nico Collins. Davis Mills hasn't looked that great. I, I just don't know what he's talking about outside of Roy Lopez, your back end of the draft guy. But he says on Vernon Hargraves and why he likes him, dependability is the greatest ability. Well, I'm not sure how being dependable and being dependably bad makes you good, but that's a whole other thing. On on the running game, Stephen, he said, that's what the Texans are deep in. I guess they're deep if you like castoffs who've seen their better days. <laughs> well, of course they're deep. They haven't made all the final roster cuts yet, Robert. I mean, there's still you know plenty of players you can play. <laughs> yeah, that's but right. That doesn't mean you. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're deep. In regard to talent, you're right. On the Texans draft, he said they've hit it out of the ballpark this year. <laughs> was he watching the Astros game while he was doing the Texans game? You know what? The other thing that if you've heard him, you know what I'm talking about. What you shouldn't do is you don't take a shot of whiskey every time Spencer uses the word integrity. Oh, yes. Okay. I got that one. <laughs> oh, oh, he was just uh, yeah. digging that one out every single time. Offense, defense. That was like a magic word for him. I think that's a typically a magic word for him, but it was just nonstop. You know, here's the thing. You talk about the draft, and that's one of the things that he mentioned as something that they knocked out of the ballpark. Well, let, let's go back and look at some of the previous Texans drafts because we found out on Sunday, that Texans tight end Kahaley Waring, well, he got cut. Yep. And, and I feel like we need Jim Nance saying, the Texans totally botching a third-round pick, a tradition like no other. <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly what it's been. Yeah, remember how highly touted he was. Oh, this guy, is he's he's got so much upside. And how many games did he play with the Texans, Robert? Yeah, I... I Count them on one hand. I don't know the exact number, but I know it doesn't take more than two hands to count them. Should we just start calling the third round pick the Charles Hill Memorial Bust? I mean, we could name this any number of direct. We could it could be the Dave Ragone Memorial Bust, Vernon Morrissey, <laughs> Antoine Peak, Antoine Molden, or any of the general managers that have made those picks. You could name them after them too. Oh my god! And, and the other thing is, hey, we got to talk about this third round pick. This year is who, Stephen? Who's the third-round pick this year? Oh, you're testing my memory again. Well, Davis Mills. Oh, of course it's Davis Mills. Yeah, he was the third-round pick. See, I keep forgetting that they don't have picks in the first and second round. So, you know, and the jury is still out on him. Oh, it's 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 a concern. It's a concern that the third-round pick's Davis Mills because that means he's likely just a, a bust. I mean, I can already feel it. Uh, so... <laughs> That's uh, one of the things I was thinking was watching Davis Mills and and and, and then seeing that they cut Kaylee Waring, I was like, oh, here we go again. And, and speaking of draft disasters, right after you and I spoke last week, the Texans cut last year's fifth round pick, Isaiah Coulter. Uh, thanks, Bill O'Brien. Thanks again. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what you tweeted. So, yeah, the the Texans draft it has definitely had some question marks. And, uh, you know, not having some of those first round picks certainly doesn't help. But uh, look, the third round. Yeah, you can just call it the curse. I mean, that's really what it's been. The curse. According to Pro Football Reference, Isaiah Coulter played in one game with the Texans, took 1% of the snaps in that game. But seriously, who remembers that? Who remembers any snaps and how many times 
do we say with the Texans draft pick, hey, did, did he actually play a game? Did he actually suit up? <laughs> yeah, that that's what I usually have to say is, well, you know, did he play at all? Because, yeah, you're not going to remember a snap unless it's, you know, a, a, a highlight that got on ESPN's top 10 or something. Lewis Nix, Sam Montgomery. I mean, we can just go down the Ooh, list of these guys. That's painful. Ugh. It's That's painful. Absolutely painful. Anything else? Any other observations from this one? I mean, the Texans are 2-0, and and, you know, Cully's doing what he said he was going to do. He's getting the turnovers. He talks about penalties. He's doing the penalty thing and minimizing that. The, the tackling, like you said, it's, it's, I can't really argue with a lot of stuff except for, you know, Davis Mills is, is a concern right now as the third-round pick, but, you know, he's not your starting quarterback. So, you know, maybe Tyrod yeah, Taylor can do it. Yeah, and that's the good news. Yeah, that's the good news, we hope, that, you know, Taylor is, is obviously going to be the guy that can step in. You know, now can he stay healthy and can he be consistent? The only other thing I would point out that I thought was a great sign, the special teams is playing well. They look good on punt coverage. You know, Desmond King had another, you know, nice return. And, uh, you know, Cam Johnston, uh, he had a gross average of 51.6 yards per punt, but he also had a 49.2 net average. So, you know, the punting game is looking good. Hey, he's going to make me forget Shane Leckler, like one of the all-time Texan greats. Yeah, Brian Anger. We even saw Brian Anger. You know, he didn't get angry, but we did see Brian Anger, uh, the former Texan, of course. So, yeah, I, I like the looks of the Texan special teams, and that – of course, is another area that they really needed to improve on from last year. Absolutely. I mean, they, they can always improve in that area. And, you know, their last preseason game is against Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers in NRG Stadium. And maybe you think we're about to see the real Texans this year, that bad team because they're facing the defending champ this Saturday. And you'd bet against them, maybe. Maybe you'd want to bet against them. I don't know. But if you're going to lay down a few dollars on the Texans, what you need to do is you got to do it with our new partner, BetUS.com, because you might as well find a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. It's not just football. They'll take action on just about any sport. Maybe you want to put something on the Astros. BetUS has them at plus 275 to win the American League. They are the favorite. Should they be the favorite? Eh, you might want to look into those odds and go to BetUS if you don't think they should be the favorite. Maybe you do think they should be, and you want to put some money on that. They've been a pioneer, BetUS has, in the sportsbook injury for almost three decades with a diehard customer fan base. Their mobile platform, it's easy. Full betting options on their mobile platform. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. And here's the cool part. When you sign up, Use our promo code HST125 to re redeem a 125% sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. Or if you use crypto, $200 or 200% bonus. And again, it's HST125. It helps our podcast as well. So I'm just going to say that. Um, please sign up using either the BetUS link on our pinned Twitter post at the top of our page or go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net and click on BetUS on the right side of the page. Again, that, that helps us a little bit, uh, so do that if you would. Follow my lead and get your phone, online, and social sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. Well, I don't know what you do if you're going to bet on the Astros, Robert. You're taking a gamble either way, honestly. I mean... What do you do? How do you figure these guys out? Because <laughs> they get 
swept. Well, they almost get swept by Kansas City. They they win the final game of that four game series, and then they go in and absolutely drub Seattle the first two games. They outscore them twenty seven to three. It's almost like you know the Texans beat the Seahawks or something, and then they totally crumble. Have a great like, several chances to win Sunday's game, and they don't. So how do you bet on the Astros? I I don't know at this point. I mean, yeah, they're in first place. And, you know, overall, they're having a good season. But, man, it, lately it's been awfully difficult to figure this team out. What you don't do is you don't bet on them if they're going to play a crummy team because I can't trust them. Yeah, unless it's Seattle. I mean, they, they do seem to own Seattle with the exception of Sunday's game. You, you can probably do okay with Seattle, but not everybody else. Boy, that Sunday game, that was just an epitome of a game that you screwed up and you blew because they had multiple chances with guys on third and less than two out, they couldn't come up with it three, four times, at least in the ball game. And everybody on Twitter was so angry at the ump because Correa gets called out on a third strike that was way inside. And I get that. But Jason Castro came up next, and he had a chance with the bases loaded and one out. Couldn't get the bat on the baseball. Uh, they played Jason Castro there. He was in the game because of a switch and... This is the deal, Stephen. It just seems like they're not winning close games like they have in, in, in their really successful seasons. That's what scares me a little bit about this team. Yeah, if you go back to that 2017 World Series championship team, Robert, I mean, that was what clearly defined the team is not only their you know ability to come back, you know, like they had to do several times in the postseason, but winning the close games. And, you know, what was really frustrating about that game on Sunday is they had two opportunities, Robert, two with the bases loaded. In one case, in the extra innings, they had the bases loaded and nobody out. I mean, yeah, you started with a runner on second base, but then you had the bases loaded, nobody out. And Paul Seawald comes in and strikes out the side. You know, that. I mean, the, you've got to put the ball in play. If you put the ball in play, Almost anything can happen, honestly. And and that's what you know, it's just something the Astros didn't do. They were three of 16 with runners in scoring position. And again, as I said, bases loaded twice, could not get runs across either time. Yeah, those are the things you, you scratch your head. And, you know, you can also point to the fact that, you know, Kendall Graveman and Ryan Presley didn't do well. But you know what? If the offense had come through, it wouldn't have even gotten to that point. Joe Smith got him out of a jam. Joe Smith, ugh, that was terrible. Yeah, Joe Smith got the Mariners out of a jam. He, he didn't get the Astros out of a jam very much this past year. Exactly. That's why I was so ticked off at that. Well, I, I do have a, I got a positive from this week, and it might be a big positive. Did, did the Astros find yet another weapon this week? Steven, I'm hearing Drake McLean just started taking bids on a Taylor Jones statue. Mm. Yeah, we keep waiting for Taylor Jones to break out. You know, the, the thing I keep saying is that he's not exactly the most versatile player, but, you know, they did have to put him in left field. You know, part of the problem is you know, the lineup just keeps getting bitten by the injury bug. You know, you had Chaz McCormick going out right before the game. I think in batting practice, he got hit on the hand. So, you you know, you have that situation. Of course, Bregman is still out. Kyle Tucker. You forgot about Kyle Tucker. That was That's the reason why we even were seeing Jake Myers at all. And Chaz McCormick goes out and now you're down somebody else. But Taylor Jones, come on, man. I didn't hear any props given to you for Taylor Jones. Throwing out a guy from left field. Uh, yeah. Got yeah. Home runs, doubles. He's extra base hitting his way all through the weekend. Except for that strikeout against the aforementioned Joe Smith in that big situation. 
he was he was great this week, and he's looked really good since he got called back up again. Yeah, and that's good because he's been called up and sent down. I've lost track of how many times. I'm surprised he has any options left. So, yeah, if he can certainly get going and come off the bench and, you know, fill in when necessary, that's great. I'd like to see it over the long haul, though. But, yeah, you can't you certainly can't go wrong with what he's done this past week. If you look at the Astros, I mean, this is a franchise that they're terrible in the minor leagues, according to Baseball America. They don't have any prospects. Well, Jake Myers comes up and performs. Chaz McCormick has come up and performed this year. Uh, you look at Taylor Jones, who's come up and performed. I mean, we've seen over and over and over again. Now, the arms, not as much. The bullpen arms, eh, not so much at all. But if you look at what they've done from the position players this year, uh, you, there's no argument. And and it looks like they've got more coming. I mean, we know that Pedro Leon is in the queue a little bit. And, and, and you know, Jose Siri, who we haven't seen, continues to hit in AAA, even though... He's somebody that's bounced around the minor leagues, but they've got guys, if you look up and down this organization, it's not as weak as everybody seems to think it is as far as the the, the pundits around base. I mean, they don't have the pedigree, maybe. These guys don't have, oh, this guy's not a first-round pick or a second-round pick, but the Astros, they've got some guys in this organization. And publications like Baseball America, with all due respect, I mean, I, I enjoy that publication and MLB Pipeline and some of these others, but you know they make their living off of rankings. Uh, let's be honest; that that's just it's what they do. That's what they're known for. You know the prospect watch and prospect reports. You can't always go by that. And you know you didn't. You know the the guys that you just mentioned. You, you could even mention Corey Lee in that group. JJ Matajevic, who's in AAA and hitting the cover off the ball. So, yeah, you may not have the pedigree, but sometimes uh, guys can sneak up, and and it's the ones that you put in there that you don't expect, those are the ones that can sometimes surprise you. Yeah, from an arm standpoint, it is still a big, a, a very much a concern. But I don't think that the Astros farm system is as bad a shape as I thought it would be in, you know, especially after the cheating scandal happened. And then you knew they were going to lose draft picks. And it has hurt them to some extent, absolutely. But to say that it has totally devastated the farm system, well, look at these guys that you were just talking about and how they've contributed at the major league level, not just in the minor league level. Next up, I, I wanted to talk about a guy that doesn't get maybe the love that he deserves. The crank, we call him the crank, but you guys know him as Zach Granke. Because I thought 538 did a really interesting piece on him a few days ago. And I wasn't a fan of the title, Boo the Astros All You Want But Cheer for Granke. Ugh, what a <laughs> yeah. terrible we title. Do without the headline, but I but I see the headline. I understand the concept of it, though. It's like you can hate the Astros all you want, but you've got to admire guys like Zach Grinke. And I thought they did a great job of you know talking about how he's a Hall of Fame caliber pitcher, even though he's been a bit well traveled for a Hall of Famer. Hey, Robert, I didn't know he was a tennis player when he was growing up, but it certainly explains his athleticism because he fields his position on the mound as well as anybody in the major leagues. So. You know, that would explain it, just the, the way he feels his position, the, the command that he has, and just his quirks. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't ignore the, the grinky quirks and different things. But, yeah, that was a very nice uh, spread in 538.com on Zach Grinky. He can hit a little bit, too. Maybe he should be the one pinch hitting for Martin Maldonado late in games or something like that. Well, that's right. And, you know, speaking of that, you notice that Lance McCullers was a pinch runner in the uh, extra innings. Just because they had no one else to go to. So, yeah, but but you're right. Zach Grinke 
was a pretty good hitter when he was in the National League, and it certainly comes in handy whenever the Astros have to go to a National League park. Yeah, and that's exactly why, I should have mentioned that, that's exactly why Castro was batting and, and struck out at that point because uh, they had already used the pinch runner to replace Martin Maldonado, so they couldn't pinch hit Castro because they were out of catchers at that point. But if you go back to what this article says about Granke, I want to just throw out some of the numbers that they had because I think they're really interesting. In the last 120 years, Zach Granke ranks 26th in war among all pitchers, 26th. His war this year, 3.2. If he keeps it up, it'll be the eighth time in the last nine seasons he reached a minimum of three total war, which is a hell of a run, especially for a guy that doesn't exactly gas it up anymore. He's third in war among starting pitchers since 2007 behind Clayton Kershaw and Justin Verlander, two pretty good guys, <laughs> ahead of Max Scherzer. That's the company he's keeping. And consider what he's doing without that velocity and without strikeouts. He uses seven different pitches. It's just remarkable what he does with just guile and, and, and movement and location and all that. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that, that number, you know, number uh, 26th overall, that, that's the one that really jumped out at me. And then, of course, as you said, you know, third behind uh, Verlander and Scherzer. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy that – but again – you know, obvious stats don't always tell the whole story. Or, you know, just because you're not a power pitcher doesn't mean you can't be a great pitcher. And Zach Greinke is one who certainly can prove that and has done so time and time again. You know, he's had some shorter starts than you'd like since he's been with the Astros. But, man, the guy just keeps plugging along. And he's he's a veteran. You, you definitely want to have him in there in the trenches, especially when you get in the postseason. I don't know if he's third as your starters go in the playoffs or where he is, there's people that might say, oh, he's number two or number one because he's a veteran and you can count on him. But you talk to these general managers and you talk to people around baseball and they typically want guys that are swing and miss guys. And Lance McCullers is and Framber Valdez is. I don't think Granke is at this point. We know he's not, you know, so I, I don't know where he is in that postseason rotation. Where, where do you think? Is he number three? Is he number four? I mean, it's going to change maybe with uh, you know a few weeks left and who's hot and who's not. But what do you think? Well, I'd say he's probably number two. I mean, I still think you, you, you're you looking at Valdez as your ace. But I think Grinky, you know, would probably be next in line if you're filling out the rotation. Ahead of McCullers. Yeah, well, you know, McCullers, maybe. I, you could flip-flop him, I suppose. I, I just... I don't know. This whole rotation has been just when you think it's fully coming together and being consistent. McCullers has had his consistency issues. We keep waiting for him to figure it out. So, yeah, I mean, you could flip flop him either way. But I, I think right now I, I'd probably put Grinky two and McCullers three. But there's still a ways to go. OK, every week we put you to work, Stephen, on this. Uh, this Week in Astros History, our, our new favorite segment. And I'm excited once again to get into this a little bit. Yeah, I am too. This week in Astros history, and I'm glad you mentioned Zach Grinky, Robert, because believe it or not, he is my first mention this week in Astros history. He did something on August 18th of 2019. He won his 200th game in his career, and he beat the A's 4-1. to one. He struck out six batters over seven innings. So, yeah, very apropos that we spent a lot of time talking about Zach Greinke because he got his 200th win uh, in 2019 
on uh, the 18th of August. So that that's pretty cool. And that was right after we acquired him. Yep. It was not long after the trade deadline. And then in 2018, on August the 19th, how about this? Justin Verlander gets his 200th win as the Astros beat, you guessed it, the A's, 9-4. to four. So, uh, wow, pretty ironic on uh, those two back-to-back. I guess Verlander still thinks he's going to be the number one starter in the playoffs for the Astros. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure he would love to be the number one starter. Uh, trust me, the Astros would love to have, you know, the 2017-2018 the Verlander in there this year. Boy, you talk about shoring up the rotation. You certainly miss having Verlander in there. No question about it. And before I let you get to the last thing or your, your next thing on, on this week in Astros history, uh, didn't mention it, but should mention Arkady starting to work his way back into this thing. And I would prefer Arkady to be one of these starters instead of, uh, I don't like seeing Odorizzi. Yeah, Odorizzi. Yeah, I, I definitely think. It, yeah, Arkady coming back, he's probably going to come back in September. And that's, of course, when you can expand the roster. So that will definitely help. Yeah, if he can get it together by the postseason, man, you'd love to have him in there. Uh, certainly in the place of Odorizzi. He looked pretty good over the weekend, but he's been too inconsistent you know, for me to settle into being comfortable with him. Yeah, I've got three more, Robert. Um, on uh, August 17th, 2008, the Astros retired number seven. Yeah, we all know that as Craig Biggio's number following a Hall of Fame career with a team that started in 1988 and ended in 2007. You know, Robert, I, I know Craig Biggio played a long time, and he played with the Astros, but yeah, it still boggles my mind that he played 20 years in the major leagues. Man. Oh, yeah. No, it feels that way because he kind of limped through those last few, and it, it seemed like a, a lot time that he was limping his way through those last few years as an Astro, but didn't he get his first hit? This week uh, in history as a Houston Astro, I, I feel like I saw that somewhere on, on my Twitter timeline. Yeah, I did not but, see that for this week. I, I may have seen it a while back, but um, I'd have to go back and check. But yeah, I, I just but 20 years, man, you don't, there just aren't too many guys that are going to stick around that long. But Craig Biggio did, yeah, he did limp through his last few years. But it's a good thing that they switched him, you know, from a catcher to second base because yeah he probably wouldn't have played 20 years in that case you got a couple more i do have a couple more and they both occurred on august 19th so kind of a magic day of august 19th this week in 2004 the astros turn a 5-4-3 triple play against the phillies and, you know this this may not be uh, you know off the tongue that most people think about Innsburg to kent to lamb yeah, Morgan Ensberg to Jeff Kent to Mike Lamb. Remember him, Robert? Yeah, I remember Mike Lamb and <laughs> Morgan Ensberg and his one great season as an Astro and then a lot of really eh, not that great seasons as an Astro. But Jeff Kent, maybe he should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, there's there definitely some push to, you know, and some argument that he should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, that triple play was actually the ninth overall in team history. So... That was pretty cool, and that occurred in 2004 on August 19th. And on August 19th, 2000, my final one, yeah, you, you know, again, we mentioned Biggio earlier, so you know we're going to mention Bagwell. He becomes the first Astro with 300 career home runs, and he hit one of the – he hit two home runs in the, in the game in question, Robert, which actually doesn't say what the game is, 
but he hit it in the train tracks in left field, and he became the eighth player in MLB history with five straight 30-homer, 100-run, and 100-RBI seasons, and he did it on that same day that he hit his 300th career home run, that being Jeff Bagwell. And he was on the broadcast again on Sunday doing his deal. So it's good to it's always good to talk, hear to hear from him on the on the uh, television broadcast. Yeah, unfortunately, I do not get the Astros broadcast. Uh, you were talking about the Texans games earlier. Yeah, I do get their preseason games, but I don't get the AT and T Sportsnet, so I don't get to see Todd Callis and Jeff Blum and uh, Jeff Bagwell and whoever else they put in there sometimes. I feel like this should be its own segment uh, besides the This Week in Astros history segment, but it's become the obit segment of the Houston Sports Talk podcast, unfortunately. And we just keep having key Houston sports figures going each week. And this week it was the last general manager of the Houston Oilers, Floyd Reese, who won more games than any GM in the franchise's history. That includes, of course, the Oilers and the Titans. He was the only GM to take the franchise to a Super Bowl, which I was at, uh, the Rams-Titans Super Bowl. And for those who forget or weren't around, Reese was hired as a linebacker's coach back for Jerry Glanville in 1986. He moved to assistant GM in 1990, then GM in 1994. Uh, he drafted Eddie George, Steve McNair. Uh, you Longhorns fans are going to love him because he drafted <laughs> Vince Young. And how far yeah. does he go back, Stephen? Vikings coach Bud Grant hired him as a oh. special teams coach in 1979. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I wonder how many great third-round picks he had. <laughs> the Texans could probably take some lessons from him on draft picks, you know, in all rounds. But, yeah, Floyd Reese, you know, one of the things that a lot of people probably think that GM types are – yeah, they well-dressed, very serious kind of guys. Well, Floyd Reese was actually, he was kind of a jokester. And I know I, I saw, I can't remember if I saw it on Twitter or maybe read it in the Chronicle, but John McClain, you know, he said he had a lot of great stories about Floyd Reese. And one of them, yeah, Floyd was a jokester, but he also knew how to take a joke. I think there was one training camp where the, all the players got a hold of him, tied him up, and proceeded to hit him with a bunch of pies yeah, he just got himself covered in pie. And you know what? He he was all a great sport about it. He took it. But Floyd Reese, a, a great guy and certainly a great general manager. Yeah, like you said, the, the most successful in Oilers Titans history. You know, part of me was wishing that the Oilers had been in that Super Bowl. But then the other part of me was kind of glad they weren't, Robert, because, well, as you know, since you were at that Super Bowl, they came within one play shy of winning it. So if they had still been the Oilers, we would have had our hearts broken again because they came up just short. But no, in all seriousness, very sad to lose Floyd Reese and what a great job he did with the franchise. I think, you though, you got to call him a failure because he didn't win a Super Bowl and it was his fault that they didn't get that last <laughs> yard uh, at the end of Super Bowl 34 when they were at the one yard line. They just couldn't get it in. So if you don't win a championship, we know this in sports, you're a failure. I hope that's mentioned uh, at his memorial yeah. service that he is a failure, Steve. <laughs> I, I think he was supposed to make the guy that made the tackle and he didn't make the tackle. So now you're right. Hey, uh, before we close it out, I, I should mention that the Rockets schedule came out last week and not a bunch of national televised games, which is to be expected. But what stuck out is how close we are to the preseason. We're just six weeks and a day till they face the Wizards in that first preseason game. Uh, 
and just eight weeks and two days until the first regular season game against the T-Wolves. Wow, that is pretty impressive. I mean, the NBA season is it's usually pretty short. You know, for, for a sport that only plays, you know, 80 games plus thereabouts, I mean, it was a shorter season this year, but you have the extended playoffs. Man, it sure seems like they have a short, you know, offseason. But some interesting things about the Rockets' schedule, Robert. No, they don't have very many primetime games, but they do have some matchups that uh, Rockets fans want to keep an eye on. You want to see James Harden? Well, you're going to see him on December the 8th. He's going to come to town, and then they won't face him again until April 6th in Brooklyn, which is the next-to-last road game of the season. So it's going to be kind of an interesting uh, wide-apart bookends of facing James Harden. Well, Chris Paul and the Suns, they're going to pay a visit to Toyota Center November 14th. So mark that down on the calendar. Russell Westbrook, hey, he's going to be coming to town with his new team, the Lakers. Mark down December the 28th, three days after Christmas. Then you get to see P.J. Tucker in the Miami Heat. He's going to be coming in New Year's Eve. How about that? And uh, the Rockets will get their first look at Clint Capella as a Hawk on December 13th in Atlanta. Now, remember, he was out when the two teams met last year in Houston. But you may remember the Rockets did show a video tribute to him before the game, but he was actually injured. So they'll actually get to face Clint Capella for the first time in a different uniform. November 10th is a day that you're going to want to mark on your calendar because Cade Cunningham and the Pistons come to town. Yeah, I wonder if there's going to be some animosity in Detroit country after the comments Jalen Green made about he's glad he didn't go to Detroit. Ah, well, you'll get to see Cade Cunningham. Um, I mentioned that, you know, no Christmas Day games or MLB appearance, uh, MLK appearances, but uh, they aren't going to play back-to-back home games on New Year's Eve. We mentioned, uh, of course, against the Heat. But then they also play the Nuggets on New Year's Day, so uh, that'll be interesting. And then they travel to Cleveland on December the 15th to face Evan Mobley. So, yeah, the Rockets, you know, they're not going to be on primetime a whole lot uh, necessarily in some of the key games, but there's a lot of key matchups, Robert, if you're looking at former Rockets that we have to look forward to. It's funny that you say Russell Westbrook because Jayshon Tate has played more games in a Rockets uniform in the regular season than Russell Westbrook did. <laughs> Think about that. Yeah, that is funny. I, I mean, it's it's so it's so brief, but uh, yeah, and and now he's with yet another new team. So yeah, that that's an interesting one. Yeah, Westbrook's played sixty or played sixty five games for the Rockets, and Jay Sean Tate played seventy, and then of course Westbrook uh, pa- passed him, I, I believe, in the postseason if you combine the two uh, games uh, played. But I mean. He really wasn't here for a long time. And James Harden, this will be the first time we'll get a real reaction because I guess he came in last year, but were there many fans in, in, at that game at all? Yeah, I don't know that there were. But, uh, yeah, it's certainly it, it'll be a much more of a normal year, we hope. <laughs> we underline that word hope, especially with everything that's going on. But, yeah, it's intriguing. I mean, it, it's intriguing that the season is so close at hand, Robert. I honestly hadn't thought about that. But, uh, yeah, we're less than two months out, and we're already going to be talking about NBA basketball again. All right. Well, we'll wrap things up, and hopefully the Astros can do a little bit more taking care of business this week. And I want to remind everybody that this show is brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. When you go to it, and, and I wish you would, use the code HST125 to redeem a 125% 
sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. If you forget, look for the promo code in the show description. To help our podcast, also, please sign up using either the BetUS link on our pinned Twitter post at the top of our page or go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net, and click on BetUS on the right side of the page. Until next time, everybody, stay healthy and safe, everyone. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.